0: Hi, this is Megan Ball
1: And this is Brock Wilbur
0: And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void The podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard And then try to find the silver lining Or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive How are you today, Brock?
1: My eyes stopped working
0: That's a problem (laughs)
1: It is a problem. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started seeing friends posting about that the screen time from the last year between work and coronavirus and and so on and so forth, that everyone sort of in my friend group is hitting around the same time, that place where their eyes are starting to spaz out or go blurry. Or in the case of my friend Matt, one of his eyes just uh, shut down the other day, (laughs) just completely like blacked out. And he was like, well, that's interesting. The, the thing that has become sort of a catchphrase, touchstone thing here is uh, eye yoga, which is what uh, doctors are are basically pushing, which is if you Google it, there's a number of little exercises you can do throughout the day. Basically, there's also this twenty 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 20 rule, which is that you are supposed to, for every 20 minutes of screen time, spend 20 seconds looking at something as far away as a tree that you can see out the window, something 20 feet or more away, so the 20-20-20 for 2020 vision uh so there's 520s there i suppose they could have gone with yeah i i was reading about all that and i was like uh eh, that's probably gonna hit me at some point point. and about a week later i started having like real blurry vision uh in the middle of the days and i was like uh i can't tell if this is psychosomatic because i was reading about their stuff or if like i genuinely have this happening and then i was like no i didn't do this with my mind it, it has indeed finally caught up with me that i do not close my laptop 18 hours out of the day every day uh and when i'm not looking at that i'm looking at my phone I was just like, okay, it's it's time to start doing that. So uh been spending a lot of time <laughs> this week taking a moment to go stand at a window and uh look at a tree on the horizon uh for for a few minutes, uh like a giant creepy weirdo. Just uh, <laughs> staring staring into space to make sure my eyes work. So that's fun. Uh that's a fun thing about me, but that is also some self-care tips for the rest of you who might be entering the same period as us
0: <laughs> that's a good tip geez i had no idea
1: when my friend was like yeah i went blind for a day i was like okay t- like i i have some of those blue light glasses that are supposed to shield you from stuff from too much screen time and i don't wear them enough uh and and i actually went on amazon and bought some eye drop stuff that is specifically designed for screen burnout and i was like okay like entering that phase of life where like Different parts of my body are going to start having a real bad time that they didn't have in my 20s. and I'm going to have to do some work like buying specialized eye drops off the internet. So yeah, take care of yourself. Do your eye exercises, a thing that I now say. Go look at a weird tree and be a big weirdo creep about it.
0: No, staring out the window is one of the best things you can do right now. I've become really obsessed with the birds in my backyard. So like, I think that's a good, a good call there.
1: I bought a Kickstarter. Or a birdhouse that has a camera in it and will send you pictures of all the birds that fly in. And then it uses an algorithm to also tell you what kind of bird it is and some fun bird facts about said bird. And I know for a fact it's just going to be squirrels and, like, definitely just the exact same type of robin. And, like, there's nothing else.
0: (laughs) No, I saw that, too, and I, I almost backed it. But then I didn't know how like it would do with like the northeast kind of weather. But I don't know what any of the birds are in my backyard. I just know that there's really big blue ones who are mean. I know there are some cardinals and there's some like really tiny gray ones. And that's about it. I don't know what any fucking type of bird they are, but I just know that I enjoy watching them. I've been buying bird seed for them. I'm like looking into like birdhouses and stuff. It's become like a whole to do, but it it really is nice. I like... I look looking out the window, and when the birds are there eating the bird team, my mom's like, oh, you've got customers at the restaurant. And it's just so cute. Like, (laughs) it's so nice. Please look out your windows. There's cool stuff out there.
1: And it will save you from blindness, apparently. I, I, yeah, stress blindness feels like a thing that we were all just destined for. Megan, what's your story this week? All
0: right, well, I wanted to talk, you know, a little bit of archaeology, and I wanted to talk about the newly discovered Pompeii food carts.
1: Oh. My god
0: it's so good
1: i just genuinely love it when somebody on this show starts their story with uh, a subject header that is two words because uh, i try to make all of our stories be be listed as two words in the in the podcast show titles so when you say the word Pompeii and then the word food carts i know that we've got a winner already
0: <laughs> i love this story so much um, I, I love weird archaeology and interesting archaeological finds because I'm just that kind of nerd.
1: I, I can tell that you're the archaeologist and I'm the uh, the space nerd. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, that's exactly what it is.
1: <laughs> you look inward and I look outward. And go. we're both equally depressed by what we find.
0: It's very true. <laughs> but I, I love that stuff. I love when you hear stories in the news about like them finding like, shit like King Richard III under a car park in England. Like, that shit's amazing.
1: Where he belonged.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other story. Shakespeare had a lot to say on that. But this is about Pompeii. and. We all know the story of Pompeii, Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, blew up catastrophically, killed a whole lot of people in Pompeii and some of the surrounding towns, and everything was covered in ash and dirt and everything. So there were really rich archaeological sites that we're still digging up today. And last December, researchers there uncovered what they're calling food carts or food stalls. And it's the first time that they found a hot food and drink eatery, um, which were known as... Thermopylaeums, and that just means a place where, you know, food is sold. But it's the first time they've uncovered them, so now they have proof of what people ate and how they ate. And so what it is, it's a multi-sided counter with wide holes containing deep vessels, which would have held pots for food or um, cold items. So it looks almost like a modern-day, like, salad bar, kind of. Or, like, when you go into, like, a pizzeria and they have, like, that counter in the front with, like, the glass in front of it, it looks exactly like that. And they determined by the paintings on the walls that this was called Reggio 5. So there was some dude named Reggio who had five of these in the city. So they had chain restaurants back in Pompeii, which I love. (laughs) So there are images on the wall representing ducks and chickens and fish, which they say is kind of like what the menu was. So people who were illiterate could still pick out what they wanted to eat. They found bone fragments and they found the remnants of goat, pigs, fish, and snails. So those what what was on, you know, order that day. They also found wine containers, which held traces of ground fava beans, which were added to ancient wine for flavor and coloring. So they had, you know, that was like the top tier stuff and they had like the less good stuff. So this was a place where the common people would eat. This was not like you go into like the Smith and Lewinsky's of like Pompeii. This was <sighs> this is like the cheap like McDonald's. But many smaller Pompeii homes and apartments didn't have their own kitchens. So most people ate in places like this. And when I told a friend of mine this, she went, oh, it's like that studio apartment I had in Manhattan. And it's like, yeah, nothing's fucking changed. And just like New York, location matters. This place that they found was on a square that on one side was all shopping places and was in front of a really nice fountain. So this was like a really good place for like foot traffic and for people to be able to have like seating outside. It was right around shopping and everything. So this would have been a really popular place to eat. And they had beautiful frescoes. One of the frescoes is a nautical scene depicting a Nereid, which was a sea nymph, riding a seahorse. There's a painting of a dog on a leash, which was probably used to warn people that there was a dog nearby and, you know, beware of dog. So before there were bodega cats, they had Pompeii dogs. <laughs> it's like Manhattan. It's exactly like Manhattan, except it's 79 AD in Italy. They also had images of Reggio in front of his cart, which was, like, his mascot, kind of. Like, you know, when you go to, like, Wendy's and there's, like, the the girl or, um, you know, Ronald McDonald. So that was his thing saying, this is a Reggio restaurant and you're going to get good food here. You know, definitely Google this. Just put Pompeii food carts into Google because it's amazing how this looks like something that you could walk into, like, a mall right now and see. It's really pretty. The paintings are really, really bright and vibrant. And the way it's laid out is literally like a pizza parlor just straight up like once they uncovered it they knew exactly what it was and how it worked so it's just a fascinating way to look at the way that ancient people lived what they ate and because pompeii happened so quickly they found complete loaves of bread they found like chicken dinner sitting in people's houses people
1: waiting in line
0: (laughs) they didn't find people waiting in line I mean, they have found interesting things, like they've found remains of horses that were in the middle of being saddled to escape, so they found horses that had, like, their bridles on but no saddles, or their saddle on but no bridle, or they found horses that were being put onto, like, a cart, but of course they they didn't make it out. They've also found stuff like women's collection of makeup and powder still on her vanity at home, Like, like she was just waiting to come back and sit down in front of them. And they've also found the remains of people in Pompeii that because the volcanic eruption was so hot, it immediately turned their organs to glass. So they have remains and in the shell of the volcanic ash that created the remains around them, they've been able to pull out especially brain matter that was just immediately turned to glass because of the heat. It was about a thousand degrees Fahrenheit, the heat of this volcano. And they've been actually able to find like neural pathways on this piece of glass that they pulled out from a remain in Pompeii. And they said it's the oldest piece of brain matter from a human that they've found archaeologically.
1: It's a good uh, playground uh, taunt to call somebody Glass Brain.
0: (laughs) It's a good band name.
1: Glass Brain is a good band name.
0: If you've ever looked at stuff about Pompeii and you've seen like the remains, they're haunting. And the fact that it happened so quickly and a lot of people suffered, you know, it wasn't In some cases it wasn't a very quick death, in some cases it was, but the way that they found people is spooky, but also really compelling and really interesting. And again, it's such a rich archaeological site that they're just finding tons of things that tell us about how ancient people lived, the clothes they wore, the jewelry they had, the graffiti is amazing. If you ever hear about Pompeii graffiti, it's exactly like graffiti you find nowadays. Humanity has not changed, but it's from 79 A.D., you know, it's it's special the fact that it stayed like that. Pompeii food carts, man. It's exactly like a Manhattan pizzeria in Naples, Italy. It's really cool. I suggest you give it a look up because it's really it's really neat. But yeah, that's that's the weird archaeological fact for today. Pompeii people had food carts and they were really cool looking.
1: A fun fact. I had an ex and that we had a bad breakup because I've never had a good breakup. And uh afterwards, she got a 79 AD tattoo on her hand. She reminded herself that she was a volcano that could uh, get revenge uh, for all that and could start over again and so on and so forth. Uh And then we went back to hanging out again. Uh And, and I was just sort of like, every time I saw that tattoo, I was like, you do have a literal vengeance tattoo uh, regarding me. I am not sure if this is going to pan out. So what is your carrying into the void?
0: You've been buried for what feels like hundreds of years, lost, alone, haunted by ghosts of what once was, of things that are no longer, a loss of self, of purpose, gone, but perhaps not forgotten. You can be found again, excavated, brought back into the light. It may take some time, but you will again be uncovered and seen and valued. You still have so much to give us, secrets held tight against your chest, just waiting for the right person to dust you off and look. You may feel entombed and trapped, but you will be found and loved once again. When the time is right, you'll begin to knock off the rust and the mold and the ruins that encase you. When the time is right, you'll start digging.
1: Excavate yourself feels like a a shirt Jordan could make that is the reverse of his bury them in the grave they dug for you.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we should we should tell him that.
1: It should be in inverse colors. Like, yeah, that'd be wonderful.
0: I'd wear that. What do you have for us today? Is it about space?
1: No, it's worse. It's Antarctica.
0: Oh, damn.
1: (laughs) So um, this is taken from Dr. Gabrielle Walker's book, Antarctica, An Intimate Portrait of a Mysterious Continent. And it is the story of a single-celled organism that lives there that is large enough that you can see it and pick it up and it might be the most terrifying predator on the planet.
0: A single-celled organism? Really?
1: A single-celled organism. So, uh, I apologize in advance. Here we go. Oh, no. This is an excerpt from her book. But Sam Bowser's favorite Antarctic sea creatures, though giants in their own world, are only just visible on the dives. He spots them by planting a flashlight with a spike into the seafloor so that its beam shines out horizontally and makes them sparkle into sight. They are called... Foraminifera, or forams for short, it's F-O-R-A-M-S. Some look like miniature oak trees, others floppy and filled with droplets of fat and all have built themselves protective coats of glittering grains of sand. Sam is fascinated by these odd creatures in part because they are much larger than they have any right to be. Each one of them is made up of one single cell. They ought to be microscopic, smaller than the full stop at the end of the sentence, but they are actually several millimeters long, the size of a fingernail, big enough to pick up individually with a pair of tweezers. I've also found out that some can grow to be much larger, which is much worse. They are clever, too, in the design of their protective coats. Sam has cleaned off the sand, put them in a dish of water with some differently-sized glass beads, and watched as they extrude sticky tentacles called pseudopodia, literally false feet, that pick up the beads and draw them in. The tentacles move using tiny motors of the kind that propel sperm. And they pulse, almost as if they were dancing, as they select a deliberate sequence of small and large beads so that the overall shell hangs together, Each of these creatures is made up of one single cell, and yet they are master masons. Mainly, though, Sam likes the forems because of their way of adapting to these extreme conditions is to be extremely uh, presumptuously ferocious. In the tight-knit food web of Antarctic waters, they punch very far above their weight. He discovered this one day while doing simple experiments with forems that he had brought back to the Cray labs. Single-celled organisms should be at the bottom of the food web, he says. If they eat anyone else, it should be other single-celled organisms, you know, like bacteria or algae. So we just wondered, what other organisms eat these forams? We found some likely things, crustaceans, and left them together in a petri dish. Following morning, he discovered that things had not gone entirely the crustaceans' way. We found an even bigger foram and the shattered remains of the crustaceans. These forams are the predators! They rip the flesh out of a much bigger critter that lands in their web. We've done time-lapse movies, and it's really gruesome. The 4Ms do this using the same sticky pseudopedia that draw in the sand grains for their shells. If you are a small crustacean just passing by, you might land on one of these, feel irritated, and try to wipe yourself off. It doesn't work. Extra tentacles take hold. You start writhing now, but the pseudopedia are like flypaper, and the more you struggle, the more doomed you are. And then, when you are well and truly trapped, the pseudopedias start looking for parts of your body that they can penetrate. Quote, they go everywhere, Sam says, and then he laughs darkly. (laughs) They start pulling off pieces of your flesh. They rend you while you're still alive and pick you to pieces. What? This is, emphatically, not the way the food web is supposed to work. Multi-celled creatures are supposed to eat single-celled creatures, not the other way around. Sam and his group tried other potential predators, juvenile starfish, juvenile urchins. Everything they threw in became stuck and then became lunch. What? <laughs> if you look around on the internet, there are videos uh, of this. And oh yes, they, um, they can capture a lot of things, much, much bigger than them. They make it sick, and then they eat it from the inside and sort of uh, toss away the the shell. And it is horrifying. They also look like the pupil of an eye, uh, which is weird. It's just sort of this circle in the middle and all these little lines sticking out, and those are the tentacles. Just truly horrific stuff.
0: This is one of the more horrifying things I've heard in a very long amount of time. Holy shit.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's just a, that's a thing hanging out in Antarctica, which it feels like it is the actual, the thing.
0: Yeah, uh, but... yeah, like, does John Carpenter know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who goes there? Well, it's a forum, uh, and it's not pleasant.
0: No one go to Antarctica, it's a bad place, let's not do that. Jesus Christ. I'm like speechless over like my jaw like when you were talking it just kept kept getting worse and worse I was like what this can't be real oh my god
1: I just appreciate that it's in the middle of like a very dry book about Antarctica and then like there's lines like and that's when the scientist laughed darkly at me <laughs> it was just like <laughs> okay like so even even for a you know a, a geotopical uh research paper sort of thing they're like no man this is fucked up <laughs> like
0: wow well, do you have a carrot into the Void about these terrible creatures? Somehow I do! Okay, <laughs> well, let's let's hear it.
1: Look guys, we don't have to make things complicated. You're singular and you are enough. Some might think you really need more to be perceived as more complex, as deeper as Legion. Certainly one singular entity could accomplish nothing on its own. But there are such advantages to being so compressed. Things go quicker. There's less red tape. You needn't organize or circle the wagons. You can just go for it. And go for it you do. Maybe those same entities that lack the proper respect will think you're just a harmless tiny particle mud on a shoe dust on a jacket. And underestimating you is the last mistake they'll ever make. You're not a nuisance. You're the end of the line.
0: (laughs) Oh my god.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This one was genuinely terrifying. Like, I, I tried to be funnier, but, like, this one, top to bottom, not not good, not fun. Oh, oh no. Oh, my
0: God. Like, I, I, you've broken me. That's that's terrifying. <laughs> oh, my God. God, nature's so fucked up.
1: It's, it, it is what I imagine the blob to be. Like, yeah. it is just that.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: Especially the part where they're, like, I don't know, it, like, ate a crustacean and we came back, there was just bits of shell and it was much bigger and you're just like oh i hate that it grows that's the worst part
0: (laughs) there's a lot of potential there that i don't like
1: (laughs) there's potential i don't like that's also a good jordan shirt
0: (laughs) (laughs) well did you do any self-care this week after you read that terrifying terrifying thing
1: so here's the thing and i feel like i've hinted at it before but like uh this is an incredible time to be in touch with neighbors not physical touch but like I have a neighbor we met once in a snowstorm a year ago when we first moved in. Uh, we basically just waved and shouted. I did not know what her face looked like. And then um, early in pandemic, I was like, hey, we should just exchange numbers like she's she's older. She lives alone. And I was sort of like, if you ever need anything, you could get in touch. I just wanted to reach out. And I, I sort of did that for all my neighbors because I never got a chance to meet my neighbors. I moved in in the middle of a snowstorm and then coronavirus hit and there was never a chance for block parties. So I have the numbers of all these people around me and like the friendships that we have formed are better than any friendships I've had with neighbors in the past. And every once in a while, just out of the blue, they'll be wildly interesting. There is a guy that I am fairly certain, uh, leans politically different from me, but he'll like check in and just send me pictures of his kids hanging out. And I'm like, this rules like your daughters are are putting on a play. Thank you for this video. And, uh, last night, a woman that was behind me reached out and she was like hey so like what's the worst reality show you watch and i was like married at first sight and she's like okay that's what i'm watching right now what is this dude's deal and i <laughs> spent like an hour texting back and forth the the incredible part is that on this season of married at first sight a, a show about arranged marriages that in the initial seasons was wonderful because you didn't need to add a producer weird reality dating show spin to it. It was like, okay, uh, arranged marriages work in many places around the world. Why couldn't it work here with people that want to be together and and like they didn't have to be weird about stuff and then of course they did. So like there's a guy on the current season who is easily the worst man that has ever been on the show. He is terribly misogynistic. Uh, and it comes from this place where he's like, I'm this business entrepreneur, and so uh, women should defer to me. And like, the the only reason I'm doing this is because I should have at a minimum nine kids. Fuckers setting up franchises is what he's doing. But like, it, they just always keep talking about like he's a businessman, he's an entrepreneur. And, like he keeps saying he's in the finance world and stuff like that. And it broke on the internet this week. What he does is that he owns a single franchise of subways so there's a lot of pictures of him <laughs> in his subway subway apron and hat and look people being upwardly mobile uh getting doing well in business absolutely would never fault a small business owner but you don't talk about yourself as if you're jeff bezos and that's why a woman should be a sex slave to you because you own a single franchise of a subway uh and I, I i just it caused me to break in such a way where I'm like, I know that I've got weeks and weeks ahead of me of watching this guy do what he's doing. Uh, And, and the whole time I get to just shout like you're a sandwich artist, you piece of shit. Uh, So I am, I'm so delighted. And to be able to exchange that with a neighbor felt so good. It feels like the sort of thing that we would have done in a drunken backyard summer party and never will get a chance to have until a year from now. It's like, this is, this is nice. So I, I, I think my self care is, is just sort of like, Neighbors, they're people too going through. There's never been an easier time to meet somebody and become involved in their lives because we're all going through the exact same thing and we're not going anywhere. No one has anything to do and no one has any connection to other people. So like, uh, it's a delight.
0: That's amazing in many different ways.
1: What's your self-care this week?
0: I finally finished the No Dogs in Space podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts right now. It's all about the history of punk music. And it was really fascinating and really good, and I fell behind. So I finally finished it up. It's definitely worth listening to if you like punk music. They're ones on The Damned, and The Misfits are especially good because both of those bands are absolute fucking disasters. And I say that with love because I love both bands. But oh my god. <laughs> so I finally finished that, which I'm very excited about. And uh, inspired by you and your band, I picked my guitar up again. Yes, I'm fucking around with it. I have, um, I bought a cheap parlor guitar in December. It's really pretty, but it's also just a cheap parlor guitar. And I'm small. I'm five three and three quarters, um, and three quarters is important. I tell every nurse that takes my height. So I don't have the reach that some other you know guitarists have. So a parlor guitar with a shortened neck has been great for me. I have a Fender Telecaster that I love. It is my favorite guitar, and I want to be buried with it. But it's also not super ideal for, you know, just the way that my hands are very small sometimes. So the parlor guitar has been a game changer. I've been playing a lot of, like, Orville Peck, and I've been playing a lot of Dolly Parton, and I've been playing a lot of three-chord punk music. Um, I fully embrace the fact that I'm bad at playing guitar, but it's just been really good to get back into it. My fingers hurt. I've got, like, weird calluses on them. It's so good. So if you have an instrument in your house, pick it back up. It's worth it. It's been fun.
1: I did not know that you're also a peckerhead.
0: I love Orville Peck. And it always weirds people out when I say that because the music I usually like is like goth punk metal and stuff like that. I also like like synth wave, like just like weird genres of music, but there's something really compelling about Orville Peck. He also played drums in a punk man. So he's got like a good pedigree to himself. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but like when his first album came out, I listened to nothing but that for like a month. It's, So good.
1: You're in good company.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't listened to Orville Peck, you really should.
1: How would you define the genre of what he makes?
0: (laughs) I would say he makes folk country music. Like, it's not country music like modern day country music. It's country music like back when, like, Hank Williams and Dolly Parton and, and Johnny Cash was making it. It's like throwback country music with modern sensibilities he's queer he talks about being queer in his songs he, he also he, wears
1: a cowboy hat that uh, obscures his face uh so you don't see him
0: it's great i told my guitar teacher back when i was able to go you know see people and do guitar lessons that i really liked Orville Peck, and he looked at me he's like is there any band you like that doesn't wear masks and i'm like that's <laughs> that's a really oh
1: good no place. oh you've been called out so hard oh my god i
0: know i know because all the bands i like wear like Face like corpse paint or masks and shit like that because it's metal and that's what you do in metal.
1: You just like costumes. You don't even like music.
0: No, I do like music. I just think that music should have you know some theater and drama to it. Like you see so many bands go up there and like you know a van t shirt and like skinny jeans and it's like that's great if that's your genre of music. But I also like music where it's like an opera type of situation where you're coming up in a costume or you have like a a, a concept album or. You know, like, Murder by Death has their, like, weird Western thing, so everyone comes out dressed kind of, like, in that kind of vein. Or My Chemical Romance did, like, the Black Parade type of thing, or, or the Killjoys. I like music that has some drama to it. And that's probably why I became goth, so <laughs> that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, no, but Orville— You just
1: like musical theater, and you just don't want to say it. No, You're like, oh, I'm... no, th- th- these are the things I like. It's everything for musical
0: theater, but it's not. I'm not a big <laughs> musical theater person, though. Like, I don't know. I, I'll have to think that one over now that you're making me question my entire identity, so thanks for that.
1: <laughs> the, the the forms of art that are clearly built for what you like, that you refuse to engage in, has become the blade twisting in my back. <laughs> I am so tired of it. Oh my god. Yeah, here's my recommendation Into the Void this week. Uh, it's a book by C.S. Malaric, uh and it's called The Factory Witches of Lowell. Uh, and it is about a, a bunch of witches that uh, work in a factory uh, and they unionize. It's got basically everything that you could want uh, socialism, unions, witches, uh, it's uh, the proletariat. It's got everything that anyone could want. It's also very, very short uh, and
0: and wonderful. I also wanted to boost a book this week. Um, I have a friend of mine named Premi Mohammed, and she's a fantastic writer. And she has a book coming out in March called A Broken Darkness, which is the sequel to her um, debut novel from last year. And it's all, like, tentacled eldritch monstrosities coming from space to tear people apart. It's wonderful. Everyone should go and pre-order it. She also had a book come out this month called These Lifeless Things, which is a tale told in two different time periods of someone who is going through the end of the world and someone who's looking at their diaries after the world has ended. They're both wonderful, and she's wonderful. So I would definitely suggest everyone go out and check out my friend, Primi.
1: Also, I'd like to bump a thing called Curtains, 84 Concert Visions to benefit Save Our Stages. It is a book available on Kindle and on paperback via Amazon.com or Amazon.whatever your country is. Oh,
0: wow. Is. That sounds so cool. Who who would put such a wonderful thing together?
1: You know, I, I only know because their name is all fucking over it. The front, the back, the spine. <laughs> But quite frankly, I I can't tell you how many times I've read this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we had to edit it, so we had to read it a lot.
1: I can't tell you how many times I've read that book to see if there were extra line breaks somewhere, if there were. It's been a while since I've read a book to check for typos. I'm just like, this isn't even my writing, but like, I'm just so invested in these tales of the macabre. So
0: that's how you know it's good. We edit it, and we still like it after.
1: <laughs> Why don't you take us on out?
0: All right. Well, thank you for listening, and remember, keep your hearts dark and true, and your teeth sharp and many, and we'll see you next time in The Void.
1: Void!
0: Bye!